Hello, and thank you again for listening to Biospace's Weekly Roundup. I'm Lori Ellis, Head of Insights, and I'm here with Greg Skolbakken, News Editor, and Tyler Patchen, Staff Writer. I want to thank you both again for joining me. Great to be here. Ditto. So, Tyler, I'm going to start with you. I think this entire podcast is going to be pretty much about IPOs. <laughs> it, it probably will be, yes. All right, well, let's dive in. One of the great holdovers, I guess, from JPM was all of the buzz about public market activity and who's doing this and who's doing that. During uh, JPM, there were some that were announcing that they were at least going on to end the IPO heading into NASDAQ, but no real de- details were kind of available as of yet. But uh, last week, we kind of got some more insight into who's kind of jumping out of the market and for how much. Uh, the first one was uh, CG Oncology. They're probably looking to maybe pull in about 180 million. At initially, if all goes to plan, they probably look to have about 200 over 200 million. And this is going sort of to their to their research efforts to fund uh, their bladder cancer candidate, which has a very long name, which I won't try to pronounce at this very moment. But that's definitely where their attention is. They'll also put uh, some other uh, cash towards their uh, clinical trial activity. They certainly, when that the news of that hit, that definitely caused a lot of interest uh, for the IPO market. The other one that kind of announced more of their plans, such as actually yesterday, was our event, uh, Biopharma. They're looking to maybe pull in about 156 million, maybe a little bit over that once kind of everything is all said and done with that, the underwriters. They're looking, they kind of gave us actually a bit more specifics about what they're putting their money towards. Um, they look to put 50 to 60 million for its NDA approval of its cancer treatment for non-small cell lung cancer, as well as that about 30 to 40 million for uh, another NSCLC target, uh, another five to 10 for another NSCLC target, and also another five to 10 for uh, its collaboration with Arvik on an ADC. This IPO hopefully will fund them all the way into uh, 2026. But of course, they might be looking to raise maybe some more money after that. Um, it's all just pretty much uh, pretty heavy activity. And I think it just kind of it's interesting to kind of see these detailed amounts now of what you're trying to get. And and it's, you know, it's not nothing. Like they're really looking to kind of hit the market and hit the ground running once they get their uh, IPO sort of ducks in a row. Yeah, I wanted to second Tyler's comments here. I mean, we're seeing early this year, and I emphasize early, things could change, but there's been this surprising surge of biotech IPOs, which is really welcome because 2023, quite frankly, was a horrible year for IPOs in biotech. And they seem to have come alive, at least here in the month of January, in the new year. And in addition to the companies that Tyler mentioned, Alto Neuroscience, Kyverna Therapeutics and Metagenomia are the other companies that have plans for IPOs and have announced them earlier this month. So it sounds great. And we all know that IPOs are literally the lifeblood of the industry, providing them with critical capital, which is needed desperately to develop their technologies and move their therapies along. I will say that, yes, last year there was a bit of a, let's say towards the end of the year, the last quarter, there was a a bit of a ramping up of IPOs. Just three weeks into the new year, it'll be interesting to see how these things pan out. If you look at last year, there were IPOs that fared well, others that did not. So we'll have to wait and see if this year's early crop ends up trading at or above or below their offering prices. And all of those would be subject to market conditions. 
Right. I've been looking at some of the market conditions as well. And it really does show, especially Tyler, when you're saying that it's more detailed what they're giving the information. And that is needed right now in the market. And I mean, that's what we're going to see. And I think in 2023, there were so many companies, uh, and I was hearing after JPM as well, they had to make tough decisions and they weren't exactly happy where they were with their cash positioning. So as we're seeing these IPOs, we're seeing them ones that are more strategic, ones that are giving out more details to compete. Now, what will be interesting to see is if any of the tourist investors come back. You know, right now the other markets have some significant expectations and they're waiting for some IPOs to come out and some have come out that are creating a lot of excitement. So I think this is more about the specialists that are in the market already and them looking at the IPOs. And the IPOs that we've seen so far, I I think they convey some level of strength, some level of assurity. And I think it's I think the the market is probably in a little bit more of a, a comfortable spot in order to do this. Now, again, will it last the entire year? Who's to say? You know, there's a lot of severe external factors that could throw a, a wrench into things, but I think everybody's trying to at least maybe pursue it now or at least think about it now because they see that the water's warm. Why not try and make a go for it? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because Greg and I usually nod our heads. You can never see that on the podcast. Greg, go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, the very fact that these companies are doing this now is indicative, as Tyler was saying, that, you know, the water is somewhat warmer and they clearly see an opportunity here that they didn't see in the past. So, Uh, at least the past year. So that's good on the surface of it. But again, I'm going to use those two words that we've been using since JPM, which is cautious optimism. I agree with you on that one. Absolutely, completely, because it is an election year. There are politics. There is increased regulatory activity into the market. And then also there is that hope that inflation rates should be going down. We anticipate for them to go down. But there's a lot of whirlwinds happening right now. And so it's just very interesting that they see the market as warmer as last year, warm enough to take the plunge. But I would almost guarantee you that there's quite a few companies that are holding back and they're waiting because they just want to get a little bit more comfortable. So, Greg, let's talk about the regulatory approval. That was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, last week, the FDA approved Vertex Pharmaceutical and CRISPR Therapeutics Cascevi. This is their CRISPR-Cas9 gene-edited therapy. Last month, it got approval for sickle cell disease. But surprisingly, we got an approval for treating transfusion-dependent beta thalassemia two months ahead of their uh, PDUFA date. So it caught everybody by surprise, you know, being two months ahead. And again, after Cascavi had already become the first CRISPR-based gene editing therapy to be approved in the U.S. And that one last month was for sickle cell disease. So what hasn't changed is the price. And that is something we've talked about on this podcast before. And interestingly enough, uh, this week, there was a study on price, at least for sickle cell therapies. And they looked at this class of gene therapies and basically came up with an analysis that said, look, if these things are going to be cost effective in the U.S., the price has to be below $2 million. And as we all know, both Vertex uh, CRISPR's therapy, Cascavi, 
uh, is at $2.2 million. And then Bluebird Bio, Lifgenia, which was also approved last month for sickle cell disease, uh, that comes in at a wholesale price of $3.1 million. So both of them are above this $2 million threshold or below that uh, this analysis that just came out with uh, suggests is the only way that they can be cost effective. So again, price continues to be a bit problematic in the gene therapy space. I think it will be for quite some time until I think the mindset has to change for some of these and we have to start looking at them as procedures. I, I heard that a lot and I was like, you know, that makes sense. But also we look at pricing for pharmaceuticals. And yes, drug development. And I, I do believe that there needs to be some type of regulatory overview and say over pricing. But I think we really have to take a look at the whole healthcare system within the United States. Yes, we're innovators. Yes, we're forward. Yes, drug development. I, I, I understand that. I think you know pricing has gotten to a point where we have to look at everything. I don't think it's just a solution right now where it's just the pharmaceutical industry or just the healthcare, like insurance side or just the hospital. I really think that um, eventually we're going to get to a point where the entire system is going to have to be revamped. Yeah. And it's interesting if people are looking for alternatives to these two very expensive uh, gene therapies, they're going to have to wait because... We just had an article today, in fact, talking about the fact that following, you know, the December and January FDA approvals of these gene therapies, uh, Kaskevi from Vertex and CRISPR, and then uh, Lifgenia from Bluebird Bio, analysts believe that another CRISPR approval is highly unlikely uh, this year or even next year. And so we're sort of left with these approvals uh, for the time being. Yeah, and that actually makes total sense simply because of everything that's going to be happening this year and all of the regulatory activity that we saw last year. And pricing is going to be such a political event this year. Both parties are already speaking about it and and working to find their solutions to it. So that's, I think, something to be expected. Well, thank you, Greg and Tyler, for your insights. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to one of us directly. Thank you.